Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am the host, Stephen Igo, of the podcast, and we are talking East Carolina Appalachian State season opener. We are going to diagnose and recap what exactly went wrong in the Pirates season opener against Appalachian State, a 33-19 to loss. I don't think the opening game anybody was hoping for in Pirate Nation, certainly not the players and the coaches, not the fans. So we'll try to diagnose what went wrong. And, of course, you know, I've tried to give it a day or two uh, past kick, uh, past the end of the game to really let the emotions settle a bit, try to take a fair, ob- objective look at this thing. You know, it's hard not to overreact after a game like that, especially if you're an alum or a fan or, or whatnot. But I try to give it some time, rewatch the game, see what happened, take into account several different items because, you know, the immediate reaction podcast will do those throughout the year especially for home games um easier to do for for me than being on the road in charlotte and you know the fifth quarter on pirate radio is awesome you know i'm partnered with those guys and it's a, a tremendous service to the fans to allow them to vent and everything but i really think in order to get a fair look at the game you have to kind of step back for a day rewatch it truly try and diagnose everything that went on no i'm not going to have all the answers not even close to it you know, really only only the coaches and players to an extent have those answers, but I try to take a fair look at it, take into several things into account, and then try to go from there. So I've got several thoughts coming out of the game. We've got several questions on the Hoist of Colors message board in our podcast thread. We've got several questions, period. I'll try to hit on some big topics throughout this podcast. Uh, we'll also get someone else's perspective later this week. I'm not sure who we'll have on as a guest leading into the South Carolina game quite yet, but we'll get some some more perspective. I'll be riding solo here, giving you my take on what happened in the season opening loss to uh, Appalachian State. So I'll start first. I mean, the frustration, <clears throat> I 100% understand. I mean, you look, less than a, a decade ago, Appalachian State was FCS and East Carolina obviously was rolling pretty good and now we're at a point where it's clear that the Mountaineers program has passed East Carolina's and if you're a Pirate alum it's hard to accept that but you 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 have to understand Appalachian State since moving to the FBS has made tremendous hire after tremendous hire they have great athletic leadership in their program they've done a tremendous job sustaining success because they've made good hires and East Carolina in that same time span has really hurt itself, particularly with the Jeff Comfer regime and the Scotty Montgomery hire, and missing on that has set the program back several years. And I think East Carolina fans went into Thursday's game hoping that things had been fixed enough to where, hey, maybe we can just forget the past five, six years to an extent and and say we're back on an even playing field or above Appalachian State. 
Unfortunately, the opposite happened. It's just hard to fix a broken program overnight. And yes, this is the third year of the Mike Houston era. Yes, the play probably should have been better on Thursday. But the fact is, Appalachian State is an established, experienced program. They operate their scheme at an elite level. You know, just watching the game, I thought App looked quicker on on field on the field. There were some that said they were bigger and stronger. Uh, ECU was the bigger team, pound for pound. They looked much better than last year in terms of being in shape, being bigger. But we all know there's more to football than being big. And Appalachian State has the ideal players for their scheme right now, and they execute their scheme at an extremely high level on offense and defense. That allowed them to dictate the game. So I'll start off by saying this. It's one game, and we should not overreact and say the season's over. I get this. was That's what fans do. I understand the frustration. This is now six uh, losing seasons, the seventh season in a row where, you know, things off the the cusp don't look promising, but it's it's one game of 12. Last year, we saw the team really struggle the first couple of games, especially that Georgia State game, and then they bounced back, beat South Florida on the road by 20, played some of his better ball by the, by the end of the year. My take is this. East Carolina should improve throughout the year. I expect a much better performance starting next week against South Carolina at home for a multitude of reasons. But I, if ECU doesn't improve throughout the year, and by the end of the year, if they're not, or if they're still putting the same product on the on the field or not improving uh, to the naked eye and, and on the scoreboard, then you have major cause for concern because then you're at the end of year three and you're not seeing much improvement. Um, you know, I think Appalachian State's really good. I think in time they will turn out to be probably the third or fourth best team on the schedule. You know, I think I ranked them fifth right behind South Carolina in terms of the toughest opponents on ECU schedule. I mean, after watching them and probably, you know, really seeing their experience and speed and in person, they just didn't make mistakes and they're really good at what they do. I mean, I think they could finish in the top half of the American easily, uh, probably even third place. I think they would give UCF a run for their money. I don't think they're as good as Cincinnati. So, We'll see how they do against Miami next week. That'll be telling. But I think App State is a top 25 caliber team. So ECU did not play well against the top 25 caliber team. Missed major opportunities at times, which you can't do against those type of teams. You had the Hail Mary, which probably should have been a touchdown, but wasn't. You know, that's seven points. The holding call and the Holt Naylor's run, uh, that's, you know, potentially, you know, 10 to 14 points. If you factor in that and the Hail Mary could have been a field goal or a touchdown. That was wiped out due to the Avery Jones holding call. You had some other opportunities wiped away. The C.J. Johnson offensive pass interference took away a Shane Calhoun touchdown. That ended up being a field goal drive, so that's, you know, minus four points. So, I mean, that right there, you're talking about potentially 18 points, and you lost the game by 14. Now, Appalachian State probably could have ran away even more in the fourth quarter if they would have continued their, their offense. So, Appalachian State was clearly the better team, but... It does go to show that if you want to hang in, hang into a game against a, a a top 25 caliber team and have a chance to win, you've got to be able to execute at a high level, and you can't miss game changing, momentum changing opportunities, and you got to catch a few breaks. Unfortunately, ECU has not caught a few breaks in quite some time. As for the actual game and, and the performances, individual group performances, you know there were. There were a couple of areas that, you know, I thought definitely uh, struggled during during uh, Thursday's game. We'll start with the positives, though. Uh, you know, I was really encouraged by the the running backs, Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris. Those two guys are simply 
great playmakers, and they need to continue to get the ball as much as possible. They make plays every time they touch the ball. It's a case where you can't get those guys the ball enough. And and really, you look at uh, the end-of-the-day stat sheet, only 12 combined carries for Rajay and Keaton, which was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, a lot of that probably had to do with the way App State was defending ECU early. Also, with uh, the big deficit in the second quarter, it's hard to run the ball consistently. But, you know, for everybody saying ECU, all they do is run, run, pass. Well, if that was the case on offense, run on first down, run on second down, pass on third down, then I think the two running backs would have had more than 12 combined carries. So, um, you know, that's kind of an old take. I think last year we saw more of that. Uh, th- this game, I thought they tried to throw the ball a lot on first down and what – at times, weren't really successful. Another point of, you know, I keep saying the tight ends weren't involved after all this hype from the tight ends. Well, the first play of the game, they tried to go to the tight end, Shane Calhoun, and App State had it covered. So sometimes you have to credit the opponent. They tried to throw the tight end three or four times in the first half, and it just wasn't there. So they tried to get the tight ends involved. It was good to see Shane Calhoun and Ryan Jones make touchdown catches in the second half, even if it was late, even if Calhoun's didn't count. I still think they're going to be a major part of the offense uh, throughout the season. As far as other positives, John Young, the punter, looked incredible. I thought he played one of the best games of his career, honestly. Consistently hit the ball well with great hang time. And that could be a weapon if ECU turns out to be a pretty good team this year, which they have a lot of work to do that on offense and defense. But I thought special teams was pretty good, especially the punting game. Um, it was a situation where the kicking game did not get off to a good start. If you if you go back and rewatch, Owen Daffer actually slipped on his first extra point try. I don't know if it was nerves or the turf or what, but he slipped, which led to the mixed extra points. So everybody's kind of worried at that point, but then he came back and did make two consecutive field goals, which I thought was very important. I mean, you're talking about a guy in his first game action, so much of kicking is confidence that he did convert both of his field goal attempts, 38 yards apiece. So that was good to see and, and good going forward. That should probably help the Pirates and, and their confidence in the kicking game. You know, defensively, they had some issues clearly against the stretch run and just the way Appalachian State runs things, the play action pass. You know, I, I thought uh, Elijah Morris was a major positive on the interior defensive line. He flashed several times in terms of making some some game-changing plays, which is good to see. And, you know, I thought at times the corners were, were okay. You know, obviously it was a, a tough day for Malik Fleming, but I thought Jaquan McMillan played a pretty good game. The personal fouls I thought were ticky-tack. You know, the first one, he's trying to make a tackle. He's got his head down. He's on the sideline you're on turf, you don't really know where you're at at that point. And the guy is still running, so he's just trying to make a tackle. He slings him down. It happens to be out of bounds, and he was barely out of bounds. It's not like he was amongst the crowd of players on the sideline. So I thought that one was ticky-tack. The other one, the guy kind of sold it, uh, was borderline, but credit Appalachian State for selling that and getting that personal foul call. Um, You know, the negatives were kind of obvious. You know, the defense just got gashed too much when it counted. You know, you do credit them for the two red zone stops, Elijah Morris making one, and also uh, the the following series, they made two consecutive red zone stops for long drives, which kind of kept ECU in the game. Unfortunately, the offense did not do a good job of answering when Appalachian State answered. The offense really kind of fell flat on its face, either with three and outs or or penalties or things to take stuff off the scoreboard when really the offense needed the answer. They could not stop the momentum. So uh, that was a disappointment. I thought the offensive line looked overwhelmed. Avery Jones, his first game at center, 
Did not have a particularly good game. Hopefully he continues to get better. Um, there's some other issues I noticed up front. You know, Bailey Malovic exited the game, I think, on the second series with a knee injury. And so Noah Henderson was playing for the first time in basically two years. And he looked rusty at times, but I thought did well, all things considered. Um, you also just did not have the the consistent protection up front you would have liked. There were some uh, identification issues against the Blitz. You also had some problems with Holton at times, I think, did not identify the Blitz either and then would not hit the hot read. So it was a combination of issues, and maybe some of that's on the back too at times to pick up those Blitzes uh, instead of going out for a pass. So, you know, I don't know the ideas, the calls, et cetera. Usually pass protection is a multitude of issues. It's not just the offensive line not doing its job. The offensive line does have to be better, uh, but I thought overall it, it seemed like a total offensive breakdown at times, not just an offensive line deal. On the defensive side of the ball, it was a tough day for the defensive front and the linebackers and the safeties, really, in terms of fitting the run. You know, their stretch run is such a tough play to simulate, and I thought ECU really had trouble with the speed, especially the linebackers in terms of filling gaps. Uh, they just struggled to get there. And then when they did get there, sometimes the safeties and, and linebackers struggled to tackle. It was just a tough day on, on, for that for that defense. And App State's good at what they do, so you credit them. But ECU's got to be better, especially at linebacker. We talked about all the experience coming back, all the depth there. I did not think they played to their capability uh, in Thursday's game. Overall, now this marks three straight season openers uh, the last three years where ECU has really struggled. To execute and, and to remain in ball games, you look at, and granted, all three were against experienced, older, good football teams that were used to winning. And NC State in 2019, UCF last year, and now Appalachian State. So we'll see what happens. I think, you know, overall, the Pirates have not started well for whatever reason in opening games under Mike Houston. We'll see. How they come out in week two against South Carolina. We'll get more into that matchup throughout this week. For now, let's dive into the questions on the Hoist of Colors message board. First, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back on the HTC podcast, and we're going to dive right into your post-game questions on the Hoist of Colors message board, got a lot to get to, so let's run through some of these. All right, Diamond Buck 321 he starts us off. He asks, why wasn't Holt Naylor seeing any of the Blitz's pre-snap and adjusting protection accordingly? Does he not have the football IQ for it? 
Uh, well, one thing that I'll say is I think Holden's got a great football IQ. I think he's got a good football um, knowledge. He understands the offense. He knows what he's trying to do. Donnie Kirkpatrick has said he does a great job of getting them in and out of the right calls, protections, etc. You know, Apple's doing a very good job of showing something and then coming with a second-level blitzer that they were not really walking up to the line or showing. And I thought that that not only gave Holton issues, but the offensive line issues. And, you know, part of that's on the quarterback sometimes. Part of it's on the offensive line. You know, there were a couple times where the tackle uh, is supposed to pick up the blitz and slide over. And, uh, you know, that did not happen. I saw Justin Chase being uh, lectured by Steve Shankweiler after one sack, I think, uh, to end a quarter. And so, again, I don't know the ins and outs of the offense and what exactly goes into every play, but the, the, the reality is it's probably on a little bit of everybody. Something I would like to see to combat that, if teams are doing that a lot to ECU, is some tempo. You know, when you're, when you're going no huddle but you're getting up to the line and you're doing the check with me stuff – you're using basically all the play clock. You know, the defense can show one thing, and then once you check out of that play, then they'll show another thing right before the snap, and you don't have time to adjust again. And so really, the defense is not on its heels. It's kind of able to dictate what it's showing. If you're going no huddle and you're going tempo, yeah, you can adjust on the fly per se, but then the defense is on its heels, and it can't can't do as much as maybe – disguise as it wants to do uh, mixing coverages app state did that a few times at ecu and i thought it was extremely effective it not only tired out the defense but also kept the east carolina defense from showing some of its exotic looks so i would like to see some more tempo you know not the entire game because i know ecu still wants to play that style where you want to run run the ball burn some clock, et cetera. But also if, if the defense is having its way with you at some, at some point you have to try to be the dictator of the football game and go at them rather than let them keep attacking you. All right, our next question from Starn. He asked the eternal on this forum questions, is Donnie Kirkpatrick handcuffed by Mike Houston in offensive strategy? Uh, is it just part of Holton's nature to open the season dull and in ineffectual and needing the first several games to get up the speed? Or are we blaming Holton for Donnie K's inability to coach Holton Aylers up? Uh, so a lot there, again, you know, I don't like getting into the coaching stuff after one game of the third season. Um, you know, if this if the struggles continue, we'll get more into it. I'll say this, you know, as far as the is Donnie handcuffed by Mike Houston, I mean, Coach Houston definitely has a say in the philosophy, but for the most part, he's a defensive coach. And I'm sure that they they obviously have meetings and they discuss kind of game plan going into the game and strategy throughout the game. But I would say Donnie probably has uh, pretty pretty good control of what he's doing offensively just based on um, my outside knowledge. Again, I don't know what's going on in the meetings, et cetera, but I don't think he's being handcuffed in my opinion. I would be surprised if he was, but I don't know the dynamics there. Uh, Holton, as far as Holton opening slow, um, I mean, he still threw for – 300 yards and two touchdowns and his pick was really on a Hail Mary and so really he could have had 350 three touchdowns no picks and that's a heck of a first game so um I don't you know I don't think he was dull and ineffective I think he I think he played a decent game he missed some throws for sure there were a couple plays where he probably either could have got the ball out on a hot or didn't 
identifiable it so you know that's something he'll have to continue to work on and get better at but I thought he was far from the the only problem offensively and far from the biggest problem offensively you know everybody just wants to replace the quarterback when things don't go according to plan but if you throw another young quarterback with no game experience behind what happened on Thursday I just don't think you have much of a different outcome if at all one thing I will say is I would like to I would like to see them try to get the other quarterbacks in the game, especially, you know, you take the end of the game, for for instance. There's so much talk about Mason Garcia doesn't have much experience. These other quarterbacks don't have much experience. Well, if you're just going to sit there and run the clock out or not use your timeouts, you know, that's an opportunity you could use to get Mason in the game or get some of these other guys in the game. You know, they keep saying such and such you know we need more experience we need more game time but those are the opportunities if you're getting blown out or if the game isn't competitive then you get those guys in the game I know you want to make the score look more respectable or whatnot but at the end of the day you know the the loss is a loss a win is a win I would try to get every opportunity I, I can use to get those quarterbacks to get those younger players some game experience uh, especially, you know, at the end, uh, Mike Houston elected not to use a timeout. I think he had two remaining. I, I don't, don't quote me on that, but uh, they let the clock run out. You know, call a timeout, get Mason in the game. You know, wh- what? You know what's going to happen? What can that hurt? Um, but they elected not to do that. They just wanted to get out of town. So it is what it is. Uh, so we'll move on to our next question. Uh, GA196Cav, he asks, is anybody actually getting coached up? You know, I know he's trying to be a little bit of a, a smart ass here but yes there's plenty of guys being coached up I mean I'm out at the practice field multiple times per week I can promise you the guys are working their asses off the coaches are putting in hours they're up from sunrise to sundown if not longer especially after a game like that so yes they're getting coached up they're trying their best uh we'll see how we'll see if they can make some adjustments to play better against South Carolina but I promise you the guys are getting coached up and in a lot of cases they don't do what they are coached to do perhaps uh, which leads to mistakes, or they're, you know, they're coached to do something a certain way, and the other team just has a better player, has better players. So, uh, you know, it's not always as simple as the coaching sucks, players suck, etc. So, uh, Berg Pirate, our next question, he, he's got five questions. Uh, one, will we move Smith back to linebacker full time? Uh, Miles Berry had a rough night. You know, that's something I'll be interested to see. You know, Xavier Smith, of course, uh, the All Conference inside linebacker was moved to rush and I thought he you know was was decent on pass rush at times on blitzes but in the run was largely ineffective and struggled at times uh as you said I thought Miles didn't have his best night again a tough scheme to go against playing some of the most snaps of his career you know one thing I'll say with the position changes you know I don't want to overreact and panic one game against a really good team I mean if you work on it all offseason and it doesn't work the first game, you have to give it more of a sample size. You can't overreact and say, hey, this isn't working after one game. Now, if you're 0-3 and the guys still aren't performing, then maybe you look at making some of those wholesale changes as far as moving guys back to their former positions or moving guys around. I just don't think you overreact to one game. Uh, That's just my take. So we'll see how they play it. You know, Xavier did play some inside linebacker in the game. I thought the inside linebacker play was not as good as it maybe should have been, so uh, maybe he plays more inside linebacker. I thought Jeremy Lewis was okay just from watching the the replay. You know, didn't make any real impact plays, but I thought held up pretty well at times. So that was encouraging. 
Uh, so we'll see how that transpires going forward. Uh, his second question, what's the general vibe around the offensive coaching staff slash Coach Houston? Will we see a change in scheme going forward? You know, again, second, it's the first game. And going into the second game, you're not going to see them change the scheme going to the second game. Now, if you're 1-5, 0-6, midseason, whatever, you know, maybe you see some wholesale changes, but it's one game. So they're not going to abandon everything they've worked on all offseason, especially going against a team that, Gave up 16, 20 points per game last year. So you, yeah, it was the Sun Belt, whatever. But the Sun Belt is a much improved conference. TCU scored basically the average that App State gave up last year with all the players coming back. So I, I just don't think it's time to panic, even though it didn't look good. I think you make adjustments, you don't make scheme changes. And you hope that guys simply learn and play better. Uh, number three, would you have played Mason Garcia down 24 in the fourth quarter? Uh, yeah, I would have. You know, we touched on that earlier, especially that last series. You had a chance to get the ball back. I just would have put him in the game, even if he's only handing it off. Every experience is a good experience for a young player like that. But, you know, I, I'm not the, the coach. I don't make the calls. I'm sure there's a reason for everything. Number four, what's your updated wins and loss projection? I'm still going 6-6. Six and six. I still think this team is much better than what it showed. I had this game as a loss. Yeah, I didn't think it'd be this ugly of a loss, but it was a loss. I still think this team plays much better against South Carolina. And I think they win one of these next two games and they're they're on track for six wins. So call me crazy, but I'm still going six and six. Number five, why put Tyler Sneed at five foot seven on the field for a Hail Mary? Well, I would have to go back and watch the exact alignment, but I'd venture to say that it's a case where you just don't you don't take your best player off the field just because he's short on a Hail Mary. I mean, you can always do a hook and ladder, uh, always something up your sleeve. You know, now teams are going to see that Hail Mary on film, so they're going to prepare for it that way. Maybe next time you use the hook and ladder and you hit Snead on that. And there's always a chance of a deflected ball. And if there's a deflected ball, who would you trust more to catch a deflected ball with sure hands and Tyler Sneed. So I, I I have no problem with him being on the field for Hail Mary. It's not like he was the primary target. C.J. Johnson was the primary target, as he should have been with his size and his hands. So um, I think it's a case where you just keep your best players on the field at all times, regardless of regardless of if it's a Hail Mary or whatnot. As long as he's not getting the you know, as long as you're not targeting five, seven Sneed in between eight, you know, six to eight defenders in the end zone, I think that it's okay. All right, next question, 336 Pirate Parent. He asks, is Sneed not quite 100%? He was off the field more than he appeared to be on it except for special teams. Looking at the snap counts, Tyler Sneed played 57 of the 69 offensive snaps, so he still played the the vast majority of the offensive snaps. So, I, you know, I think he did have a little deal during preseason camp. As far as I know, he's still 100% um, or is back to 100% or close to it. I don't think he has any real issues that are slowing him down. I just think it was more Appalachian State was really taking him away. They had the uh, the outside linebacker, who's almost more of a nickel, really shaded over him, and then they had the safety directly over top of him. So they were – Covering the inside and the the outside pretty good with Tyler, which made it hard to get him the ball. And they were hitting him off the line quite a bit. They had a good plan for him, and other guys didn't didn't necessarily step up. Uh, if a change were made at OC, who on staff would you consider to take over duties? Again, you know, not crazy about answering these questions after one game, but just to answer it, you know, if there was a change made, uh, I would assume 
you know, Steve Shankler has OC experience, but if you look back at the Purple Gold game from the spring, Drew Dudzik was actually the OC for the Gold team, while Donnie, I think, was the OC for the Purple team. So if, if that was the case, I would think that Dudzik would be the, the play caller. Now, maybe they give it to Shank because of his time as an OC elsewhere uh, as well. You know, Chris Foster's been an associate coach and then you got Latrell Scott who's been a head coach so there are some candidates there but I think just due to knowledge of the offense you know Dudzik's been with Donnie and with Coach Houston for as long as anybody on the offensive staff so I would think Dudzik will be a a candidate but again we'll talk we'll discuss that if it ever gets to that point uh Shifty 2006 can you speak to the strategic implications of how the fourth quarter was coached things like the decision to kick a field goal Instead of pushing for six, kicking deep on the subsequent kickoff, tempo play calling on the next drive to the average fan and ESPN crew came across as waving a white flag, throwing in the towel slash quitting. From your perspective, is there another way to look at it? What were we trying to accomplish? Look, I get it. I was kind of like, what are you know, what is ECU doing? Why not trying to push the tempo? Here is the other side of it, and I get both sides. You know, if you're truly thinking you can still win the game, you're obviously going at a higher pace and doing all those things. Clearly, ECU approached the fourth quarter as, hey, we need to slow things down, get some confidence, get some experience for some guys, and take advantage of game time as much as we can for the first units. And that's what they did. So they ran their regular offense in the fourth quarter, and they pretty much ran it like it was the first quarter. And you know what? They ended up having some success. And so maybe that carries some momentum into the next game. Maybe not. I don't know. They had the opportunity to get a second live field goal attempt for their freshman kicker who had never kicked in a game before. He succeeded. Maybe that gives them more confidence going into the next game. Maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. Clearly, though, the coaching staff values the experiences and just the ability to get some positive momentum in that quarter and maybe keep the guys' heads up going into the next game. That's the only explanation I have. Again, I'm not, I have not talked to the coaches about that. Um, I did not ask after the game. Uh, I'm thinking about asking Tuesday at the press conference about the approach in the fourth quarter and about not taking timeouts. But I was trying to rewatch the game and see how many timeouts they had left because I was writing my story at the time. Um, and so it was a situation where I, I do understand both sides. I understand the fans being frustrated with, hey, why are we just going so slow when the game is within reach? And I even tweeted you know, you're kicking a field goal down three scores with six, seven minutes left. Clearly, you're not going to – you can't score three more times in six minutes. So you're basically just kicking a field goal as live game practice. So that's the approach ECU took. Uh, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But that that's what they decided to do. And I think you can make arguments for it both ways. And But that that's something that I think Mike Houston has done the past couple of years. And – We've seen some of those games that have been ugly losses. You look at the UCF game last year or Georgia State, a couple of those were ugly losses where they ran, kind of ran their offense in the fourth quarter and didn't really replace any of the guys till either A, it was really late, or didn't replace them at all. But that momentum did carry into maybe uh, later in the season, and some of that success paid off. So again, I don't know if it's a if it's just a huge deal either way. It's something that obviously fans have the right to analyze as supporters of the program at the uh, at the end of the game. So I personally would have liked to have seen more tempo, more of an attempt to get into the end zone there. But uh, they did end up scoring. They got the field goal. They converted that, 
They hit Ryan Jones on the touchdown. You know, they did do the onside kick. Actually went right through Jawan Powell's hand. Should have had it. But then they didn't call timeouts after that, which was a little confusing. So um, I guess you just take it as they were trying to get some live game practice in those situations more than anything. All right, our next question here, mind the skipper. I just want to know where the disconnect was and if it's something that's going to carry over into the last 11 games. I'm not upset we lost. I'm upset we got absolutely blasted when every tidbit of info we had offseason pointed us to at least being able to be competitive again. Something doesn't add up. Yeah, I mean, I think that's those are valid points. Um, I, I, I really did expect the team to play better. I think the coaching staff expected the team to play better. You know, I think that uh, it was just a kind of a combination of a perfect storm and that app played really well. ECU did not play particularly well in several areas, and the momentum-changing plays did not go ECU's way. We kind of touched on this earlier, but it's been so long, it seems like, since ECU got a break in a game. You get that Hail Mary, all of a sudden, that's not only a play that can change a game, it can change the season because all of a sudden you're thinking that on the sideline, man, if we can get that play to go for us, maybe this is this is our moment. Maybe this is the moment where it turns for good. Instead, it goes the opposite way, and you have to have some doubt. It's only human to have some doubt, like, man, we can't catch a break. How do we keep putting ourselves in these positions but not being able to catch a break? And then you have the, you know, it's a 14-6 game. Holton Aylers breaks off that run on a perfect play call, by the way. You know, we talk so much about Donnie Kirkpatrick or the lack of creativity or whatever, they they show the same Keaton Mitchell look that they scored on earlier in the game when the quarterback draw off of that play, get a massive gain, and then it's called back due to a holding. That probably shouldn't have been a holding, but Avery Jones has to let go either way. He's got to know that Holton's 15 yards downfield and he just let him go. Those two plays, I mean, that those are back-breaking plays, and if you make them, maybe it's a different game. Look, App was still the better team. They're the more experienced team. They played like it. Even though it's a second-year head coach, they've had more continuity as a program over the last decade than ECU. All those players have been there in that system for five, six years. They know how to execute it at a, at a high level. And so there was a disconnect in terms of execution versus what Appalachian State was doing. But I thought it's not like there were a lot of bust on defense. You know, there was one play in particular where Malik Fleming – I don't know if he was in the wrong play or what, but he just went down and Thomas Hennigan was wide open for a walk-in touchdown and Chase Bryce just miss, missed him. That was the only play where it was like a clean and clear bust from the defense. The rest of it, they were they were in the right spots. They just didn't make the play. And so I don't think there was a huge disconnect defensively. Now, offensively, there was a disconnect with some of the blitz pickups. There was a disconnect on one route. That was thrown to C.J. Johnson where he did not get a call right and he was blocking when Holton Aylers doing the football. Uh, so I thought you had more disconnect and more bust on offense, which is typical in the first game than on defense. But I thought overall App State just outplayed ECU. So, you know, is disconnect the right word? I don't necessarily think so. I just think App outplayed ECU, and at the end of the day, ECU's got to get a lot better and hopefully – Going forward, they catch some of those big breaks and those momentum-changing plays. I mean, there are three or four of those plays every game that change a game, and ECU really got none of them outside of the Keaton Mitchell touchdown to begin the uh, to begin the first quarter. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, Berg Pirate has a comment about 
Coach Houston, he's done that crap since the Tipple game in 2019. If you're going to quit, play the backup quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I was saying earlier. Like, if they're going to run the offense and do it slowly, might as well get the, the young guys some experience. Uh, but, you know, they chose to leave the first stringers out there and, and continue to build their confidence as well, which was honestly probably needed based on how the game was going. Uh, Yaramass felt like our tackling was subpar, to say the least, from a team that is stated to be physical and hit you in the mouth. Why do we seem to get bodied on several of the plays throughout the game? Didn't see much of that physicality at all. Yeah, I mean, that's a the tackling was an issue. I think Pro Football Focus had it at 12 missed tackles, which is too many. There were several on one play, I think in the third quarter, when Peoples had his, his touchdown run to make it 33-9, to which was just very poor effort. And I thought that was the one drive of the game where like, it, it reminded me of, hey, this is the losing culture setting in. These guys are getting beat, they're getting frustrated, and they try. And what was honestly a pretty, pretty poor effort on the defense. And then after that, they got chewed out pretty good by the coaching staff, and I thought they played much much harder, tackled better. Um, but I, I thought that the, the technique at time was not great. Appalachian State does have some great athletes. You know, Peoples is a machine. He is 6'1", 225, and he's fast. I mean, he is a hard dude to get on the ground. He he is one of the better backs in the nation, and that's really not overstating it. So um, I thought that just their ability had something to do with it. First game probably had something to do with it as well. You usually have some sloppy tackling in the first game on everywhere. I mean, if you look at App State, they missed several tackles on Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris as well. Uh, so I think it's just something that will hopefully improve. It's not like ECU is not tackling in practice. Uh, they hit all the time. And I thought there were several plays where ECU brought the blitz and Bruce Bibbins just absolutely came in like a torpedo. And credit at, man, like Cam Peoples would just step in there and take the take the block, and he would get knocked back about three yards, but he stepped in front and took the block. And so ECU, it's not like they played soft. I just thought Appalachian State matched them in terms of physicality. And, you know, they're not the biggest team in the world, but they're fast and they're aggressive. And they play physical as well. And so I thought that gave ECU fits. Their speed on the defense really gave ECU fits. And then their offensive line was great in uh, in blitz pickup for the most part. And it's not a surprise because their head coach is an offensive line coach. And... Anytime your head coach is an offensive line coach, you're going to be a physical, well-coached football team up front, and Appalachian State is. So they executed really well, and uh, they they brought the physicality just as ECU. Now, I don't think ECU is a soft football team, and I think they'll play physical, and I still think they'll play better uh, this week going forward. So uh, we'll see how they respond, though. They definitely got hit in the mouth, even as much as they tried to hit Appalachian State in the mouth as, as well. Straw369, he asks, is it really that bad in the quarterback room that Mason Garcia, Ryan Stubblefield, can't, won't get any garbage time snaps? I mean, we all knew the game was over, but they still left Holton in all game to take the hit to the head and put up unmeaningful points. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've hit on this a couple times. I think they lack trust in the quarterback room behind Holton Aylers, but at the same time, you got to get those guys game experience. We have this conversation after every double-digit loss, so... Uh, it's just clear at this point they're going to ride with the first stringers until until the end of most games. So I would like to see Garcia or Stubblefield get some time there in the fourth quarter, but it is uh, it is what it is. I mean, we're on year three now, and so it seems that they're going to stay with that philosophy going forward. Uh, Joe Pirate, one, he asked, why, God, why? 
Well, I, you know, we we touched on it earlier. Appalachian State is good. ECU is still a rebuilding program, and it is what it is, man. It's a, it's a tough time to be a Pirate fan. It's never easy. I still believe in this staff. I still believe in what uh, Mike Houston has built and is building. It's just, you know, I'm, I know fans are tired of hearing about it, especially after losing to Appalachian State which many Pirate fans perceive as behind or, or beneath, quote-unquote, ECU, that it's harder to hear this, but you still have to remain patient. I mean, here's the deal with the COVID situation, guys. So the COVID deal helps ECU tremendously in the long run and somewhat in the short term, but it helps programs that are super old like Appalachian State in the short term a ton. But what it's going to do is Appalachian State next year is going to lose a ton of seniors and the year after that. you got several other programs in the same boat that are older, like Cincinnati, etc. Whereas ECU and some of these rebuilding programs, instead of having all their seniors back, all their freshmen are freshmen for extra years. So that means another year of development for the long term. And yes, it'd be great if ECU would go out there with a bunch of freshmen, sophomores, and it, and yeah, they do have an experienced quarterback and a fairly experienced offensive line, but still a lot of those starters on the offensive line are underclassmen with three to four years of eligibility left. It'd be great if they went out there and beat Appalachian State, an experienced top 25 caliber team with a young team, and, and we could be like, oh man, things are great. Pirates are never going to lose again. They got all this young talent. But the reality is ECU is still extremely young. You look at the guys who are making plays on Thursday. Keaton Mitchell is still a freshman. He still has four years of eligibility remaining. Rajay Harris still has four years of eligibility remaining. Tyler Sneed is somehow still a sophomore eligibility-wise. Now, we'll see how long he stays at ECU because he's already got his degree, but he still has three years of eligibility remaining. C.J. Johnson still has three years of eligibility remaining. Avery Jones, three years. Nashad Strother, your starting guard, four years of eligibility remaining. Uh, defensive line, pretty much everybody, three to four years. A lot of those safeties and corners, three to four years. I mean, this is still just a young football team that's learning. And I know that excuse gets old. And I know nobody wants to hear it. You're on year seven of not having a winning season. But this is still an extremely young football team. And it's only one game. So let's see how they perform going forward. I expect them to respond. I expect this coaching staff to to coach them up like somebody asked earlier, and I think they'll be much better in the weeks to come. So this team is still 0-3, 1-5, and looking bad at the midseason point, then we'll have some of those really tough conversations about potential changes and whatnot. But for now, don't push the panic button. Keep supporting the guys. Show up next Saturday, the first SEC school in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in more than 20 years. And be loud. It's been a long time since we've had a fun game atmosphere at ECU, and I've seen ECU play well above its head and to its potential and more based upon just a home field advantage. So show up on Saturday, support the guys, and I think we can really make something happen next weekend. So uh, I'm looking forward to the game. I know it was a frustrating start for Mike Houston in his third year. Nobody's going to work harder than these coaches to try and fix it going into game two. Um, you know, just seeing them after the game, they were pretty beat down and, and disappointed. So just just know, as, as tough as it is on the fans, and it is tough, it's it's 10 times as tough on the coaches and the players. So 
especially the coaches. These guys pour their heart and soul in that. I know they get paid a lot of money, but they're doing their best. So hang in with them. Hang in with us. You guys have been uh, great on the Hoist of Colors message board. Uh, active. I know it's been tough. Um, Pirate Nation is always wonderful. Appreciate you guys' support on opening weekend. This was the start of our 12th season covering ECU football for Hoist of Colors. You know, wish it could have got off to a better start, but still 11 games to go. 11 weeks left in the college football season in terms of games ECU will play. So we still got a long ways to go. This is just the start, and one game will not define ECU season. So we'll see how it goes going forward. I appreciate you guys for asking the questions on the Hoist of Colors message board. We'll be back later uh, in the coming days for kind of a South Carolina preview, maybe tie a bow on this one and look ahead to the Gamecocks as well. But appreciate everybody tuning in. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.